Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The House of God. Years ago, I remember a book, I have to confess I've never read, but whose title reads, Disappointment with God. Now, as I say, that might be a great book, I don't know, but the title is, well, tiresome. You know, it's been quite popular for a while now for people to express both disappointment and anger with God. You know, for some, life has turned out to be a bitter experience. They're angry. And others, well, God didn't behave the way he should have, and so they're disappointed with God. Is it ever okay to be angry with God? Well, some are going to say, yeah, it is. But I suspect when we say that, it's because we are, in fact, confused about the kind of relationship we have with God. You know, often the same people who claim to be angry with God become altogether confused and even upset to hear that God is angry with us. You know, today as we continue in our series on Genesis 25 to 36, we're going to find Jacob taking his first step to understanding both who he is and who God is. I'm reading Genesis 28 verses 10 to 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Well, Jacob's fleeing from home. His brother Esau wants to hunt him down and kill him, and Jacob had been an opportunist and a deceiver, a thief and a man without conscience, and finally his brother has had it. So Jacob's running for his life, but that's not all. Jacob is going to Haran to find a wife and gain a fortune. He's seeking new adventure of wealth and happiness, and in the end, he hopes to come home married and safe and wealthy, and that's what he's planning. Of course, as we will see, this idea that Jacob is the captain of his own destiny, well, that's an illusion. He's already being boxed in by God, but he doesn't know it yet. And behind him, Esau waits like an angry lion, and ahead of him, something he does not now know, awaits a man named Laban a much greater deceiver than Jacob. He's going to clean Jacob's clock and rob Jacob of his dreams, and in the end, Jacob will be disappointed. I wonder, do you think he has a right to be angry with God? Now, when we start our text, by my best calculation, he's now some 90 kilometers from home. So I'm going to say that he's been gone for about two to three weeks. His great adventure of faith has not yet begun. He comes to a place when the sun is setting at the outskirts of a town called Luz. He'll eventually call that place Bethel. 
In ancient times, it was common to take strangers in and travelers into your house, and that's a traditional ancient Near Eastern form of hospitality. But for some reason, and in this I see the hand of God, no one from Luz accommodates Jacob. He makes his bed outside. The topography would have had rocks and cliffs, and he falls asleep under the stars with a rock for his pillow. Are there bandits about? Well, we're not told. Is he afraid? Well, of course it's possible, but that's not the drama here. The drama is the dream. I know it's easy for skeptics to say that this was only a dream, but some of you may know that there are dreams and there are dreams. You know, some dreams are very different from all other dreams, and this one is one of those. And Jacob had one of those dreams where he was right in the place where he was, outside of Luz under the stars. Is it a dream? Well, yeah, but nonetheless, he sees a ladder or stairs. The word translated as a ladder or stairs in the Hebrew is used only once, and so there is some debate as to what is the right translation. I think it's translated best stairs for two reasons. First of all, ladders don't have two-way traffic on them, and secondly, the imagery, the bottom set on the earth and the top reaching to the heavens, well, that sounds very much like the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. You know, the Tower of Babel is humanity's attempt to reach God, and so to manipulate God to gain a desired end. In the case of Babel, the end was to build a great civilization. It's human religion, using religion to get what we want. But in the end, that never works. Genesis 11 tells us that the Lord came down to see the tower. In other words, God who is infinitely exalted, who, whose distance above us is infinite, notices a small little pimple on the landscape, and he says, I should go down and take a look at what they're building. In other words, their tower doesn't reach God at all. But now Jacob has a dream, a stairway reaches heaven, not as a result of human effort and ingenuity. No, no, this is built by God. It reaches right into the dwelling place of God. And as Jacob stares at it in fascination, he sees God's angels ascending and descending. You know, angels are God's messengers, his servants who carry out his will on earth. The ones descending are coming from God with orders to carry out his plans on the earth. And those ascending have completed their assignments. They're going back. They've accomplished in this earth exactly what God has ordered of them. And above them stands the great God, the creator and ruler of this creation. And undoubtedly, the image was intended to teach that that God does on this earth exactly as he chooses. At least, that's what Jacob should have seen. Now, in the ancient world, many thought that there were, in fact, sites like this, holy places and shrines, which were the place where the gods descended to the earth. But here, God is not on the staircase. But that might not be the point. So what's the point? It's something that Jacob misses entirely. You know, in verse 16, Jacob wakes and says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. In Jacob's worldview, he thinks he has stumbled in on a portal between heaven and earth on one of the great holy sites and no one knew, and he's afraid. Do you remember Moses and the burning bush? Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. But how can a barren place in the the middle of a desert be holy ground? Well, it wasn't holy because it was a religious site. It was holy because of the encounter with God. That's what Jacob doesn't understand. You know, there are those who go through life thinking there is nothing special about life at all. And then they encounter God. I I remember years ago, a man at his baptism saying he had come off the streets to use the church urinal. And he came to think he had stumbled on holy ground. Well, of course, church building urinals are not portals to God. What had happened is that God unexpectedly had broken into his life. 
I know a woman who, at her baptismal testimony, said that she was drunk in the corner of a house where a a party was going on, loud music, everything, and there she heard God speak to her, and everything changed in an instant. So let's spell that out for a moment. God chooses his elect. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Let me say it again. Jacob wasn't looking for God. He was looking out for himself. He was looking to get rich. He was looking for a wife. But there is God suddenly, as it were. He stands before an open door, and suddenly Jacob stands before a reality that the earth is the Lord's, and God reveals his presence in all of the earth. Everywhere you put your foot, that's mine. And then God says, I am the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and I'm the God of your father, Isaac. Yeah, the one you've just deceived. And then God adds, the land on which you are lying. Well, this is a part of my eternal plan. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to your offspring. And you, Jacob, you have been chosen by me. You will receive the blessing of Abraham. (laughs) I want you to notice that the dizzying promises that God gives Jacob. I mean, first, God promises him the same land that he has promised to give to Abraham. Then second, Jacob's offspring would cover not just Canaan, the land of promise, but his offspring would cover the earth. (laughs) The words east and west and north and south, well, those are global words, and they have to be understood in a global manner. No part of this earth would fail to have some of Jacob's offspring standing on it. I mean, we've got to think about that, and we know now that's a reference to the followers of Jesus Christ who would fill the entire earth. And thirdly, and most importantly here, God will make Jacob the conduit of blessing to the entire earth. And again, I think that's a reference that through Jacob, the Messiah would come, the Savior of the earth would enter. And so God says, Jacob, I know that you haven't been looking for me, but I have looked for you and I have called you. And because you are my chosen instrument, I have now chosen you that you will play a sacred role that will shake the earth. This is who you are, and this is who I am to you. The mission of Back to the Bible Canada is simple. We teach the Bible. It's a commitment to bringing the light of Christ to a dark world in such desperate need. We all face dark days, but we know that the living Word of God brings light and hope like nothing else. If Back to the Bible Canada or any of its associated ministries or resources have impacted your life with Jesus, we're hoping this month you would join us in reaching an important fiscal year-end goal of $342,000. Your gift makes these ministries possible every day and continues to sustain the Bible teaching programs you enjoy on this station and the many other mediums made available for teaching the Bible within Canada or in fact around the world. Would you offer your support this month? Your generosity makes this ministry possible. Call today with your gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. There is more to the promise that God gives to Jacob. God tells Jacob, I will be with you. I'll be your God. That is, I'll use my resources as God for you on your behalf. In a certain sense, all of God's people need to apply that as a promise to themselves. 
God has promised us in Romans 8, 28 to 30, that he will specifically design all of our experiences for our long-term eternal benefit. God makes to each believer the most incredible promises. But let's go back and learn from our account of Jacob. I see after the encounter with God three responses that we have to consider. First, Jacob says, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. So I want you to imagine Jacob as a man who has just seen a stairway to heaven, and he doesn't have even the foggiest idea of what that means, at least not yet. He will when he becomes God's man, but the day is still 20 years ahead. For now, he's completely ignorant about how to respond. So he says, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. Well, he's partly right. By house of God, he means that this is the place where God dwells and speaks to me. But there's a lot wrong about that statement. Remember, he thinks he's stumbled onto a portal into heaven. Let me explain what I mean by giving a history of that place, Bethel. You know, years later, after Israel had had a civil war, they were divided into two nations, one named Judah, who were still faithful, and one named Israel, who for the most part were idolatrous. King Jeroboam chose Bethel rather than Jerusalem as Israel's most holy site. Why? Well, it was a portal to God. So he set up idolatrous calves and established pagan rituals and sacred shrines, complete with priests and a ceremony. That place, Bethel, became one of the most rebellious, God-dishonoring cities in the land of Israel. That's why when you read through the prophets, they often treat Bethel with contempt. For instance, listen to Hosea the prophet. I'm reading Hosea 4, verse 15. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. Well, to the faithful, says God, never go to Beth-Avon. Well, the term Beth-Avon refers to Bethel. But rather than meaning house of God, Beth-Avon calls it house of nothing. And the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 48 verse 13 prophesied that Israel would one day be ashamed of Bethel. Not proud, ashamed. And Amos predicted that Bethel would be the place where God would punish, not bless Israel. See what happened. Many years after Jacob's encounter with God there, Israel made Bethel a holy shrine. They journeyed there, they worshiped there, they made their own religious practices there, and God said, this is the house of nothing. This is the house of contempt. All over the world, people today are seeking holy sites. They journey to Mecca. They journey to the Ganges River in India. They even journey to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, where Jesus died and rose again. It is wrong to seek a holy site. It is Jesus and not a holy site that is the portal to God. So then what is awesome? The presence of God is awesome, but a holy shrine is not. Remember when Jesus was asked which was the true holy mountain to worship God? Where was the real religious shrine of worship? He said that the true followers would not worship on a holy site. They would worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit is to worship in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to reveal Christ. And I wish Jacob could have said, how awesome is the God who is here. Instead, he thinks Bethel is important. And that's our first lesson. Revel in God, not in sacred shrines. Second, when God reveals himself, we are called to remember and never to forget. You know, for Jacob, it was Bethel that was the marker. So we come to verses 18 and 19. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took this stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Jacob wanted a way to remember what happened in that place. Now, that's not wrong. I mean, for Christians, that marker is our baptism. That's how we say this encounter with Christ was holy. This is how we remember. God has instituted that we should. But now we come to verses 20 to 22, which instead of being the climax of the encounter is anything but. In verse 20, we read, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. That's incredible. If you take care of me, if you give me food and clothing, if you give me protection, if you give me the fulfillment of my wishes, then you can be my God. Instead of believing God's earlier declaration to him, Jacob tells God, yep, I know what you've said, but I haven't seen it yet. And until you do, I won't let you be my God. How many of you have that kind of dealings with God? This is why so many of us are angry with God. And clearly at this moment, Jacob is yet an unconverted man. But you do know that often people try to do the same thing today. We think we can bargain with God. And whenever we say, God, if you, then I will, we're bargaining. I remember years ago hearing a testimony of a guy who described his conversion this way. He said he was in a hot tub and God had come to him. He said he would forgive him and cleanse him. So the man said, you know, I'm a businessman. And so I've made many deals. And that day I made the best deal I could ever make. Sounds like Jacob. You know what happened to Jacob when he tried to bargain with God? <laughs> God introduced him to Laban, who stole from him and cheated him and lied to him and wrecked his romantic plans and reduced his family life to a disaster. And finally, we find Jacob with a dislocated hip, limping in pain as Esau is bearing down on him with 400 men. And in the middle of that disaster, Jacob finally cracks and says, I am unworthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love you have shown me. No more deals, no more complaints, no more anything. But to say, God, whatever I get is already far more than I deserve. I don't know how many Christians I've met who tell me they're angry with God and state that they have a right to be angry and they're going to work it out with God. And whenever we do that, God says, well, you hang around and I'd like to introduce you to a guy named Laban. God will, if he has chosen us, simply wear us down and bring us to our knees until we finally figure out who is God and who is the sinner and who makes the demands and who is called upon to yield. So what must we do in our response to the revelation of God? Well, our response is never to bargain with God as Jacob did, for if we do, we'll only intensify our pain. For Jacob, that understanding would come later, but do you notice that in verse 21, he seems to almost understand that. He understands that what is needed is for God to be not his servant or his buddy, nor his means to accomplish his ends, but to be his God. Let me illustrate that. Wonderful story is true. It was September 2nd, 1945, Yumeda Yushihiro. He was general in the Japanese army and a member of the Japanese Supreme War Council. He stepped aboard the United States warship, the USS Missouri. That day was the worst day in Yoshihiro's life. Japan had never lost a foreign war, and the concept of defeat and surrender was utterly foreign to them. 
Furthermore, the samurai code made it clear that surrender was shameful and cowardly. The only thing to do was to fight to the death. But because to fight on meant the complete annihilation of the nation, the unthinkable had to be done. Complete, unconditional surrender was required. And yet, Japan had been merciless to whomever they had defeated. What would surrender bring? But without qualification and in personal disgrace, General Yoshihiro signed a document that no other Japanese military men had ever signed. He surrendered completely and without condition. And shortly after that, he was brought before a war crimes court and found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. What a terrible fall. The shame was complete. No general had so disgraced his nation as this man had, and that would be his legacy. But the surrender of General Yoshihiro had only begun. Three years later, while in prison, General Yoshihiro met another general, a great warrior and a powerful leader, who demanded of him a greater surrender than he had signed in 1945. And this one demanded unconditional surrender in every detail of his personal life. And so in 1948, three years after his humiliation on the USS Missouri, General Yoshihiro bent his knee more utterly and completely than anything he had ever done in his life. And he surrendered to the general, Jesus Christ, unconditionally as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wonder, you have heard the call of God. You have seen Jesus Christ as the portal between heaven and earth. Have you ever bent the knee and utterly and finally said, not my will, but yours be done? Have you surrendered to him? Do it now. Do it today. What an amazing story, this uh, General Yoshihiro. Um, I got to ask you, though, what comes out of that? And I want to ask this carefully. I mean, he had to come to a place of full surrender, complete surrender to Christ. I mean, until we get to that point of full surrender, have we really, are we really converted? Yeah, I, I know that we are converted whenever we confess Christ as Savior and Lord. The deed is done. Our sins are nailed to Christ's cross. They belong exactly there, and we bear them no more, and we are Christ's. You know, that's just, that's a fact. And yet it was surrender that brought us there. And over and over again in our lives, the lives of those who are saved, we are brought back by Christ to that matter of surrender. That's where we rightfully belong. That's what we were converted into. And it's as if that, you know, the Lord needs to remind us over and over again what our salvation actually entails. So it's a good thing to continue to consider this and to recognize that it is surrender that brings the delight of God into our lives. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of Genesis, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Sarah wrote, Dr. Neufeld brings scripture to life with depth, practicality, challenge, and hope. The world has changed, technology has made everything closer. Ministries have changed, and yet Back to the Bible has remained constant in its values and teaching and has embraced technology, all while making sure the gospel is not diluted. You do a marvelous work, and I look forward to hearing you every day. You know, messages like this help us feel like we're hitting the mark. And with God's blessing, people of every age and background are being impacted through faithful Bible teaching. 
Our special thanks to all those who listen and support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Your encouragement and commitment means so much. You can join us in this effort with your financial support by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca.